Is this something that uh, probably uh, needs to be talked about? It should be on. No? Let's see. It's on. Go ahead and turn me up a little bit. Uh, is, is, is conflict, how to handle conflict, is, is that something uh, that, that we need to talk about probably more uh, in society? Is, is there, who here does not deal with some form of conflict? Who here does not deal with some form of conflicts in their families, their careers, right, relationships, uh, the church? I mean, who here doesn't face opposition? And so the idea here this morning is, I want you to open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to look at verses probably about 20 through 22. Uh, we'll probably start out in uh, verses 22, but we'll go through 26, but we'll bounce back and forth in that little section. Uh, so it's mostly going to be in 2 Timothy here today, chapter 2. But when we think about Christians, we think about Christian leaders, uh, there will always be times of conflict that we must have to deal with. Has there ever been a Lord's Church that's ever split? Why did they split? Over, time, over times of disagreement, over uh, times of what's right, what's wrong, over, uh, over things like doctrine, over things like men's roles, women's roles, over things like instrumental music. There, the list can go on and on. You see, there's problems that are going to arise in the church. And it's so important that we study out First and Second Timothy, even Titus, because Paul's letters to, uh, to Timothy and to Titus were for their uh, direction of the church. Because wasn't it the Apostle Paul, after he went, and Barnabas and others, and they planted churches, didn't he send Timothy, didn't he send Titus to go back to make sure that things were being done properly and in order, according to the will of God, according to the word of God? And so when you think about conflict, the Apostle Paul is going to give young Timothy, he's going to give him some information, and likewise us, on how to deal with conflicts, when conflicts arise not just in the church, but you can apply these principles to every aspect of life. And so you're going to have conflicts in relationships, in your careers, in your families. There's going to be those who oppose you for your beliefs, why you believe what you believe. Because it's obvious, right, that all of our beliefs are just uh, uh, happily accepted by those in society, right? The, the, the Christian doctrine never opposes what worldliness, does it? And so obviously we're not going to face opposition. No, that's exactly what we're going to face is opposition. Almost every book of the Bible talks about false teachers and how to deal with false teachers. Timothy's no different. And so I want each of you to hear this morning. I want you to think about conflict. I want you to think about it because it's something that each and every one of us are going to have to deal with on a regular basis, if not maybe on a daily basis, depending on your life, depending on your career, depending on your family. And, well, Dave, why would, a, why would my family have a problem with my faith? Well, if you grew up in the Lord's Church, has, everybody, has anybody's children ever gone astray? Is that going to cause conflict in the family? If you didn't grow up in the Lord's Church, like, like myself and like many others in this building here this morning, that didn't grow up in the Lord's Church, but we left the faith of our youth, is that going to cause some consternation amongst the family? Is that going to cause some opposition? Do you, are there going to be co-workers that are going to disagree with what you believe and, what you, and how you believe? 
Absolutely. And so conflicts are going to take, uh, take uh, really um, take shape in all different forms, shapes, and sizes. And some of them may be about matters of faith. Some of them may be about just matters of life. And so we have to understand that as Christians, we must lead with love. Did Jesus lead with love? Sure, he rebuked, but he also rebuked in love. Didn't Jesus say that how often I desired, as, 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 as a hen gathers her little cheeks, uh, ch uh, little uh, chicks uh, uh, beneath her wings? He says, didn't uh, I desire to, 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 to bring the Jews, my people, within the sheepfold? Didn't I desire, as a mother uh, hen, to bring them under my wings and to care for them? And yet they were unwilling. And so we look at this and why this lesson here this morning is important. Because it's the one thing that we all will face on a regular basis. And because you look at this letter and the Apostle Paul, when he's writing this letter, why is it important? Because he's dealing with conflict. Where was First and Second Timothy written from? It was written from prison. I'd call that a problem. I call that a conflict. Why? He wasn't in prison because he was some criminal and some uh, deplorable human being. He was in prison because of his beliefs and the things that he stood for were contrary to those who opposed him. And so both of the letters to Timothy and the letters to Titus were, were written from the Apostle Paul in a time when he was suffering persecution, in a time when he was suffering betrayal, in a time when he was in prison. And so it's very relevant as we think about conflict, and yet even though he's dealing with conflict, he what? He's writing letters to encourage Timothy, encourage Titus, encourage the church on how we are to deal with conflict, with an attitude, a spirit of love and truth. If you want to know a little bit more about it, I think behind me on the screen is 2 Timothy. Look at chapter 1 in verse 15 what it says. You are aware of the fact that all who were in Asia did what? They turned away from me. I'd call that a problem. I'd call that conflict. I'd call that opposition. All who were in Asia turned away from me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. Those were individuals who were Christians, and they turned away from the Apostle Paul. Why? Because of the persecution, because of his chains, because of prison. And then I think of 2 Timothy 4 and 14, and it says, Alexander the coppersmith, what? He did me much harm. But that's all right. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. So, brethren, what is the point of those two verses in chapter 1 and chapter 4 of 2 Timothy? It's to simply show and to give us a glimpse that the Apostle Paul, too, suffered from conflicts, suffered opposition, suffered persecution. And yet he's writing to encourage the young Timothy, uh, the young Titus, as they are to go out and, to, and to, re, to make sure they put things in order, to make sure that they're teaching the truth, but with the proper mindset, with the proper spirit, with love and in gentleness. And so when we look at this, we need to ask ourselves, what should Christians and, and Christian leaders do in times of opposition? Because we're going to be opposed within the church. We're going to be opposed, opposed many times by the people in our own congregations. That's why congregations split from time to time. You're going to be opposed by other congregations. You're going to be opposed by other denominations. You're going to be opposed by people outside of the church. So how are you going to deal with these things when they occur? And trust me, they will occur. You see, brethren, as Christians, we have always faced opposition and conflict. Why? Because they, the world stands contrary to our beliefs. And they're not happy with what we believe. 
And we live in a world that's becoming less and less uh, uh, a tolerant of different viewpoints, are we not? Isn't that, we, isn't that why we talk about a thing right now called cancel culture? Because cancel culture is a very real thing. Why, where does that idea stem from? In opposition of one person's beliefs to another. And so our beliefs are hostile to worldliness. And that's why the Bible talks about light and righteousness. And how light and righteousness will always expose dark and sinful worldly living. And so we know that light is always going to win out, but we know that those who are in the dark, those who are in the midst of sin, are going to do everything they can to oppose your beliefs and to bring shame upon you for the beliefs that you have. Has anybody here ever had a conversation with somebody in the workplace or in the family or, 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 or a friend, and they try to shame you for your uh, Christian beliefs that you hold so dear? It happens all the time. And if it doesn't happen, you're probably not talking about your faith very much. You're not probably talking about the moral absolutes that you stand firmly on. Jesus was trying, Jesus stood firmly in his beliefs, in the truth that he came to preach, being God, and yet the Jews tried to kill him. He talked to them in love, he cared for them, and yet he spoke firmly to them. Why? Because he had to, he had to get them to understand there's a difference between light and darkness, sin and righteousness. And if you remain in darkness, remain in sin, your life is going to come to an end both physically and spiritually. And so even Jesus had to deal with these things. And so how do we deal with those who seek conflict? Well, in today's world, brethren, we see a great deal of conflict on things like social media. Do we, do we not? I mean, it happens all the time. And so when your beliefs differ from the rest of society, they're going to try to pick a fight with you. Why? Because at various, there's going to be various levels of persecution. Because we live in a less tolerant society than we just did even 10 or 15 years ago. And so Christian leaders, along with Christians, need to know how to deal with these situations in life. Because there's going to be times when uh, that, uh, we need to stand firm on our beliefs. And when we stand firm on our beliefs, you're going to uh, encounter opposition. You're going to struggle. You may even be in prison. You may be martyred. I mean, that is what was happening in the first century, was it? How many of the first century saints were not killed for their beliefs? And yet, they continued to still preach. Stephen was stoned to death. Did everybody close up shop and go home and say, this ain't for me? No. They actually mourned his death, and they went out and they preached with more uh, 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 fury. They preached with more passion. And they continue to pray to God to give them the strength when they are afraid, to give them courage when they are weak. And so I think about struggles. I think about influential leaders throughout history. And one of them that comes to American history in our time was, the, was the, one of the leaders in history was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Did he not stand firm on his belief? Did he not fight against segregation? Uh, was his teachings on reconcil uh, racial reconciliation and nonviolence, uh, was that not something that he often spoke about? He wrote about, he wrote a letter from prison. He was in a Birmingham jail when he wrote a letter that went, went on to be renowned for its teachings. He did not, he did not look to, uh, to uh, what do you call it, uh, return evil for evil, like, uh, like uh, uh, Romans chapter 12, verses about 17 through 21 talks about. 
But no, he didn't return evil for evil. Instead, he chose to, to take a different approach. He did not retaliate against those who opposed his message. And his message cost him his life. Just like many of the first century saints, their message cost them their lives. Brethren, we need to make sure that we, as men and women of God, stand up for his principles, his moral absolutes, without fear. But we do so with the spirit of love. We do so with a spirit of gentleness. And that is the key that I want us to focus in on here this morning. Because it's that type of leadership that is going to make a difference in this sin and dark world that we live in. And so when you think about this next passage of scripture, in 2 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy that suffering is a part of leadership. And if you look on the screen behind me in chapter 2 and in verse 3, what does it say? Suffer hardship with me. As a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Why does he make that statement? How, how do we suffer with, uh, with, uh, with Paul and, and with Timothy and with other first century saints as good soldiers of Christ? They, it, it's very simple. We don't look for our own benefit, our own protection. We actually look to the scriptures. We look to their example and be willing to also give our lives, if necessary, for the truth. But we do so all the while by conducting ourselves with love and gentleness and peace and patience and self-control. Brothers and sisters, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, as I said a moment ago, from prison. And yet he is still encouraging and instructing Timothy how he ought to then make sure, like a good soldier of Christ, that he continues to march on. He continues to fight the good fight of faith. Why did Hermogenes and, uh, and the other gentlemen leave him? Because they were afraid. Because they didn't like what happened to him. They seen the persecution. They seen the chains that he was in. And yet they, marched, they decided to walk away from God. Walk away from the truth. And yet we see Timothy here being encouraged to be a good soldier of Christ. I think about this next passage in 2 Timothy in chapter 2. And in verses 11 through 13, notice what Paul told Timothy. It's a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, meaning Christ, we also live with Christ. If we endure, we will also reign with Christ. And if we deny Christ, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. You look at this passage as a scripture here this morning. If Christians endure, then we will participate in the reign of the glorified Messiah. We will do all that we can to glorify God in how we deal with conflict, how we deal with opposition. Well, why was this letter written? Because Timothy was a younger man. Timothy was only probably in his early to mid-30s, most of your historians believe. And they call, he says, do not, Paul told Timothy, do not allow those who are older to look down upon you for your youth. Well, why is that? Because in that culture, in that time, if you were 40 years or older, you were considered an elder. Not an elder as the office of the church, but you were older in life. You were mature in life. No longer eligible for, for military service. You were now considered, most of the time, married, had children. You've experienced enough in life that you can help to mentor, to influence the younger generation coming up. And so you were considered an elder. That's why it said that he told Timothy, don't allow this, the older, the elders, to look down upon you for your youth. And so you look at this. He tells him to, to stick to the truth. He tells him to stick to what he knows to be true. And so, brethren, when you look at this, remember Jesus, he faced conflict from the most influential people of society. 
And that was the Jewish leadership, the Jews, the, the leadership of Judaism. Were they not constantly trying to find something to accuse him about? Were they not constantly trying to, uh, to stone him to death or find a reason to put him to death? And yet, he treated them with love. He treated them with respect and kindness and gentleness. Sure, he taught things that were firm. Sure, he called them hypocrites from time to time. But that's not really a bad thing. If you're a hypocrite, you're a hypocrite. Call a spade a spade. And so Jesus did, though, with love. He didn't do it with malice in his heart. He just says, you guys continue to set aside the law of God in order to keep your own commands. And so he was just calling them out for their hypocrisy because they were continuously looking to, to, to adhere to their own uh, man-made doctrines and traditions, all the while setting God's rules aside. And so today we are going to examine some of the thoughts concerning conflict and how we can look at conflict from a different way. And when it comes to conflict, many have a tendency to either uh, avoid it at all costs. Isn't it kind of like the, uh, the fight or flight kind of mentality? Many people look at, uh, look at uh, conflict and they either avoid it at all costs or they want to win at all costs. Well, both attitudes are, are negative. Both attitudes are bad. Because if you win at all costs, but then you alienate people and you push people away from God, what did you really win? And if you avoid it at all costs, conflict, well, then how are you to then help those who stand in opposition if they don't know the truth? And so there has to be a happy medium. And in chapter 2, the Apostle Paul talks to Timothy about what it, what it takes to be a special, a special vessel that's used in honor, uh, that's used for honorable purposes. And we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, need to look at ourselves as the type of vessel that can be used for honor. And that can be used in situations that are going to glorify the Father. And so the principles laid out in this text are directed towards, in reality, the leaders of the church. But in actuality, the principles apply to every Christian in how we actually deal with opposition. And so, brothers and sisters, as Christians, it's important to understand that we first must lead with love and with truth. Love and truth, right? That's why we worship God in spirit and in truth, with the right heart condition, the right mindset. When you deal with opposition and the opposition you're going to faith, face, whether it's a, in regards to your faith or whether it's in regards to something else, what is your mindset? What is the attitude? What is your heart condition that you enter into those disagreements with? Is it one to win at all costs? Is it one to get even? Or is it simply a desire to teach? And to, and, to, and to show people a better way with gentleness and love and with a kind spirit. So let's open our Bibles now to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22. I want us to look at this, and I'll have it on the screen behind me, but I know some of you like to follow along. And when you look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22, notice what it says. He says, Timothy, I need you to now flee from your youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Well, what is he telling us there? When you look at that passage of Scripture, here we see the Apostle Paul uh, appealing to Timothy to flee from the desires of our youth. Let me ask you a question. Who here is like in their uh, 40s, 50s, 60s right now, or maybe even a little bit older? Do you handle situations differently than you were when you were like 18, 19, 20? Maybe 25 or even 30? Do you handle them differently? Why do you handle them differently? What has caused you to be able to handle them differently? Oh, you matured in life a little bit. You now have matured and grown in your faith 
and in life and then in the Word of God. And so now you don't react to things in the same way that you may have reacted to them in times gone by. And so that is the point that when Timothy is being encouraged to flee from his desires of his youth, we also go backwards by uh, a couple passages. Uh, let me see if I have this one on here. Here it is. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 20, notice what it says. Now in a large house there are uh, not only gold and silver vessels, but there are also vessels of wood and earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Paul uses that passage of scripture in verse 20 and these various articles or these vessels as, a, as an example to turn away from wickedness. Think of yourself as the articles of either earthenware or clay or gold and silver. And so when you look at this, he's dealing with a large house. He's probably dealing with a wealthy home since there are vessels of gold and silver as well as vessels of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. And what does it really mean? What's the point? How, what is he trying to say? Well, the expensive ones, uh, the ones that are vessels that are made of gold and silver, are probably used for feasts are probably pulled out for times of honor, times of when you have when you want to make a good impression. Does anybody here have silver at home, like uh, silverware, like the fancy silverware? Maybe you got it as a wedding gift. And when do you pull it out? You don't use it every day. You pull it out on a special occasion. Maybe the family's coming over. Maybe you got special cutlery or special, uh, uh, special uh, plates and dishes, and you pull them out for special occasions, do we not? And so it's the same thought process here, but I want us to look at it in a little different light. The honorable vessels are pulled out for, uh, for purposes uh, of feasts or, or for times of honor, but then there's the inexpensive ones that are made of clay or maybe uh, or, or of wood, and those ones are used for less honorable uh, occasions. And so what, what would make them less honorable? Well, some of them may be used to collect garbage. Some of them may be even used for a bedpan. And so he's giving this example that in a, in a rich house, in a wealthy home, that there's going to be vessels or articles that are used for honorable purposes and dishonorable purposes. And so God, through uh, the Apostle Paul, through Timothy, is warning him to make sure that his ministry, his life, is used for honorable purposes. That's why we are to be holy as God is holy. So now think back now to uh, chapter uh, uh, verse 22. When you go back and you look at verse 22 on the screen behind me, it says, Now flee your, your, your youthful lust and pursue righteousness. The word flee is not a one-time action. It's a continuous action. That is the mindset about the, that passage of Scripture. We must be continuously fleeing from the passions of our youth so we don't get uh, pulled back down into the gutter. We don't get back pulled down into our immature thinking and immaturity. And so that's why I often ask, our, you, know, ask you, it is when you think about your youth, do you think differently now in your 40s and 50s or 60s than you did in your teens and 20s? Or even maybe early 30s? And the answer for most of us is yes. And if the answer is no, then we'll talk afterwards. Because it's about maturity in life and maturity in, the, in your faith. And so it's noteworthy that Paul did not use Paul did not tell us specifically which passions he wanted him to avoid. Because isn't everybody different? Isn't everybody's passions or lusts or strong desires different for every individual? Male, female, and everybody alike. And so we need to make sure that we're growing and maturing in a way that we can be used as honorable vessels in the kingdom of God. Used as honorable vessels in the, in the, in the service of God to bring glory to him. 
And that is what, that's what's illustrated here in these next so many verses. Paul is warning Timothy and likewise us that we can no longer think and act immaturely if we wish to be a, 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 a faithful and useful servant in the kingdom of God. Remember what the Apostle Paul said to the people of Rome in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. He says, and do not be conformed to this world, but what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. What is the point? We can no longer think like we used to think. There has to be a transformation. And if there's not a transformation and you're still in worldliness with worldly thinking, you're going to fall into the same traps that have caused you uh, trouble and consternation your whole life. And that is why we have to determine what is truth. Can we know truth? And the answer is yes. And so that is why in Romans 12 and 2, we transform our minds. No longer looking to do the things of our youth, but we transform our minds and we no longer look to be conformed to the world. And now we get to verse 23 of 2 Timothy. And I think here about, uh, that, you know, about maturity and about life and about mindfulness and about transforming our lives with moral absolutes. Notice what it says here. But you need to refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. Well, what is the context of this verse? The context is, if you go back to chapter 1 and verse 3, you see that the, uh, the Apostle Paul is warning Timothy. He says you need to make sure that you stay on at Ephesus so you can encourage uh, those men not to teach strange doctrine, to put, thing, put everything into order, and to make, things that, uh, make sure things are done according to the will of God. And when you look at it, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing they produce quarrels. Brethren, if Timothy is to pursue peace, he must have nothing to do with foolish speculation. Amen? From people looking to do what? To cause doubts. To question the validity of Christ. Were, they, were there false teachers in the times of Timothy? In the times of Paul? In the times of the first century church? And so they were constantly questioning the teachings of the Apostle Paul. They were constantly questioning the teachings of Timothy and all the inspired writers. And so there was all the time, there was these foolish and ignorant speculations that people were making who thought they were experts of the word and yet they were ill-informed. Do we have people today who have masters and doctorates in theology and yet they teach in these denominations and they teach falsely, they teach uh, worldliness, they teach error, and yet people hold them in high regard. And so when we talk with those individuals, we understand that we are to pursue peace. We are to talk to them with gentleness and love. Yes, we rebuke. Yes, we be firm. But we do so with the right spirits. And Paul goes on to inform us why. Because in the very next verse, in verse 24, he says the Lord's bondservant, it must not be quarrelsome. Have you ever met a quarrelsome bondservant? What is a bondservant? Do you guys remember? A bondservant is a Christian, a Christian, who freely, free, a Christian who of free will gives his life over to the one he serves. We have freely given our lives over to Christ Jesus as our master and our savior. And if we've done that, we are a bondservant, and we must not be quarrelsome. Well, you look at this, and you look at the rest of the verse, must not be quarrelsome, must be kind to all, must be able to teach, 
and be patient when wronged. We're dealing with conflict this morning. We're asking ourselves, is there a way that we as uh, honorable vessels, as Christians, as servants in the kingdom, need to conduct ourselves? And the answer is yes. When you deal with opposition, when you deal with those who look to quarrel, like the previous verse was saying, we need to make sure that we do so with kindness, that we are able to teach by understanding the scriptures, and that we're patient when we're wrong. We're patient when that opposition comes our way. Brothers and sisters, in contrast to these false teachers, Timothy is to see himself as the Lord's servant. He is to see himself and behave accordingly so that God can be glorified. Christians must not quarrel, and yet there is quarreling all the time in the Lord's church. Brethren, I also want to point out that not quarreling does not mean allowing false teachers to go unopposed. We are to oppose false teachers. But we do so with the proper mindset, with the proper frame of mind, with the proper spirit, with love in our hearts. Why? Are, are we supposed to seek and save lost souls? The ones who stand in opposition to us, are they not lost? And are they not in, uh, in need of the truth? Are they not in need of the Lord, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and saving blood? So how can we look to save them if we look to win at all costs? If we look to get revenge... Brethren, we have to go about it the right way. And so if it just means that we must conduct ourselves with the mindset of gentleness, lovingness, and yet firmness. Jesus, was he firm with the Jewish leadership when he spoke with them? And yet did he love them? Did he care for them? Did he try to instruct them and to teach them in the ways of the truth? Absolutely. And we must do the same. I think about this in the manner of Timothy's writings because... Paul wrote to Timothy, did he not, about the qualifications for elders and deacons? Isn't there also a qualification in there about the widows who are to be enrolled and who are really widows? And so you look at that, Paul gives these qualities that Christians must have if he or she is to be an effective servant in the Lord's kingdom. Christians must be gentle and kind to everyone, even the false teachers. Because our, our goal is to then bring everybody to Christ. Christians must be able to teach. We must not be resentful because the ultimate goal is to bring as many as possible to Jesus Christ so that they may have the opportunity to repent. They may have the opportunity to be baptized for the remission of their sins. And that's why it goes on here to say in verse 25 and 26, he says, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive uh, uh, by him to their, to their thought processes. So brothers and sisters, as I get ready to close this down here in a minute, we need to understand that when Christians instruct or correct, it's not to get even. It's not to say, ha ha, who was wrong now? No, you correct with a loving, gentle spirit with the express purpose to get them to come to Christ. That's it. And if you're out there arguing and debating and, and, and getting nasty, you need to stop because you're never going to save anybody that way. If you go out there and you start you know, hitting people over the head with the sledgehammer of the Bible, you're not going to save anybody. I'll never forget my buddy Larry Anderson at Sunset. He told me years ago, he said, Dave, when I first became a Christian and I, furl, and, 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 he goes, and I really started to know the truth, he said, I would do spiritual drive-bys. And he goes, and I didn't save nobody. He had the right heart condition, the right desire, 
But man, he peppered him with so much that it scared him away. He couldn't save anybody because the mindset wasn't right. The, the heart condition wasn't right. He didn't, he didn't fully understand how to go about dealing with people that were uh, in opposition to him. And so that is the point of today's lesson. Can we know how to deal with those who are in opposition to us? Brethren, we must strive to save sinners. We must strive to redeem those who are fallen. All the while with conflicts, when conflicts come about, that we understand that we maintain a spirit of kindness, lovingness, gentleness, and we're able to teach. And we're always looking to transform our minds by the word of God, which gives us the confidence to then go and talk to others with that spirit of gentleness. Brethren, Christians never must look at getting even. We must never look at winning at all costs because that's not going to save anybody. We need to make sure that we lovingly teach, lovingly rebuke, and encourage, and then allow God to give the increase. The Apostle Paul and, uh, and Apollos in the first Corinthians in the first few chapters, it says, listen, I watered, he planted, I watered, God gives the increase. You just have to be the loving, gentle soul that God wants you to be. Follow the ultimate example that we have in Scripture on how to teach and how to deal with opposition, and that is the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. You look at how he performed, and you try to do likewise. Because the goal is to get people to come to Christ. Brethren, Christ left us that ultimate example. And all the while, even though he was loving and kind and gentle, yet firm, and never sacrificed truth, they still look to put him to death. My point is this. You could be loving, you could be gentle, you could be kind, and you will still face opposition. You will still face times of conflict, whether it's in regards to your faith or other things. How you deal with it will speak volumes on whether you are a vessel of honor or a vessel of dishonor. And so we need to make sure that we do all to the, uh, for the kingdom of God, all to the glory of God. Remember the fruit of the Spirit as I shut this down. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. If you make those attributes or even begin to make those attributes your own, you'll have success in teaching and setting the ultimate example to others. And you'll also have a better conversion ratio as you deal with people. Because people don't want to know how much, they, how much you know until they know how much you Amen. Brethren, if you're here today and you're hearing this message and you need help with how to deal with opposition and conflict, let us know. We'll help you. If you're here today and you need the prayers of the church, let us know how we can help you. We'll pray for you as well. But if you're here today and you're still not a child of God, you can absolutely change that right now. You don't have to wait any longer. Why do you keep putting it off? If you're not a child of God, change that right now. God will, re, will uh, forgive your sins. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and God will add you to the kingdom. Come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.